and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel. I can't even say my own name. My name is Michael Raziel. This is a show where we get to talk about sports. We get to talk about business. We get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, do whatever you're supposed to do. Five-star review, subscribe, like. I don't really care. We just really appreciate anything. So thank you to all out there listening. Today, incredible guest, Adam Voidoid, head of content at Satisfy, Satisfy Running, whatever the heck we want to call him. Adam, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We got a hurricane barreling down on us here in uh, New Jersey right now. So New it's Jersey, just a little bit okay. of rain. So it shouldn't be too bad, but it's a... Uh, it's cool, man. I'm having a good day. I'm having so you a good got day. hurricanes over on the East Coast. I'm here in Oakland right now, you know, just uh, hair shot away from all these fires going on. And yeah, California, I saw so, you know, crazy pictures and videos today. It looked like it was just red. Just everything was just red. Dude, yeah, it's it's unreal. I was actually in South Lake Tahoe two weeks ago for a really good friend's wedding. And even during that ceremony, there was some smoke and we were like, damn, the timing is unfortunate. But then like a week later, it's like, wow, the timing was great, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, if there could be such a thing as great timing for a wildfire, you know what I mean. You know? Hey, man, we're looking for positives, <laughs> silver linings yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. You, I, we're both, I, I'm assuming, very positive people. I know I am. You seem like a pretty positive dude from Try, the few minutes you know. that we've got to speak. So that is true. What great timing. Not having your wedding a week or two weeks later. So shout out to your friend. Hope you guys had a good time yeah. there. So Adam, very excited to talk to you about running why anybody on planet earth likes running that's always a very confusing whenever i go for a run i always say this sucks the whole time that's pretty much all i say to myself we'll get to that though don't worry we'll get to that we'll get to that the first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much yeah um that's kind of a funny question because i think that at the base level of that question i don't actually like sports very much you know i think Growing up as a, you know, as a kid, I, I always was into activity, you know, and I think movement was always really important to me and was just a really great way for me to express, um, I guess, maybe almost even anxieties. You know, I think anxiety is a very energetic thing in the way that it like manifests in the body and mind. And when I look back on it, I think that's why I liked it so much as a kid. And then I got into middle and high school. And organized sports became a lot more of a uh, social template, maybe is a good way to put it. And I realized that I don't, I didn't actually like the uh, social culture and ideals of maybe, you know, kind of stereotypical masculinity that's involved with sports. And so I kind of started to distance myself from what, you know, are popularly referred to as sports and became obsessed with like skateboarding. So it wasn't that like I abandoned physical activity altogether. And, you know, I dabbled in playing basketball in high school for a little bit and stuff like that. But I think what I discovered uh, when I was like 14, 15 was that I just loved spending hours and hours outside just moving, like doing shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that to this day is still why I love sports. And it's just the ability to tap into something that's ineffable and I don't know, just cathartic. Yeah, it's it's really important. I mean, activity is extremely important. We're 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 animals at like our ultimate core, right? And very yeah. few animals just sit around all day. I mean, we can no. count on one hand the ones that, you know, look koala bears, sloths. All right, I think I'm out. So, you know, everything else likes to move <laughs> yeah. around, likes to do shit. So right. it makes sense yeah. that we do as well. And and I would even kind of challenge you and say, I think skateboarding is a sport, if I'm not mistaken. I just watched some killer athletes in the oh, Olympics, I, right? So, like, I guess it's, you know, I think I understand where you're coming from, kind of that team yeah. sport um, yes. mentality. Yes. But I think, you know, it's it's important. Like, who cares what you're doing? I mean, we're get we're going to get to it running, right? Like, running is a sport, 100%. The most watched sport. thing was the 100 meter dash right everybody needed to see it everybody needed to watch it men's women's it was incredible the joke about running is it's everybody else's punishment like i just never it's understood so why anybody runs for pleasure like i understand that you're trying to look good you're trying to do your thing but i guess talk to me man what like at what point did you did running come into the picture and you're just like yeah like let me let me just punish myself for like i don't know 30 minutes every day because it's apparently good for me 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, I think these are all really fair points. And I felt similarly about running for the majority of my life, I only picked it up as a, um, like my main mode of movement, like three, three years ago, maybe. And out of curiosity, how old are you? I'm turning 32 in October. So okay. 31 so like right now. 10% of your life. So 90% of your life, you said, no, thank you to running. <laughs> oh, yeah. How does that sound? And, and it was, it's, that sounds completely spot on. And I mean, even when I played team or organized sports running, yeah, it was the punishment. It was the worst part that, you know, nobody enjoyed that part, myself included, you know. But um, I guess to circle back to your question and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how did I kind of fall into yeah, enjoying how, it? Exactly. Yeah, well, I think before you clicked live, we were alluding a bit to a piece that I wrote for um, the magazine that we do through Satisfy called Possessed. And it's a piece titled The Psychedelia of Running. And it was about an experience I had on LSD that sort of inadvertently led me to running. And um, a super condensed version of this story is that I had managed to pick up some LSD from a really good friend of mine. And I was really sort of actually curious about sort of the benefits of microdosing for mental health purposes, to be completely transparent. It wasn't just to like have some crazy, awesome trip time. Um, I went to college, man. You're good. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And I ended up, you know not measuring the dose really accurately and ended up being pretty damn strong. I was living in uh, New York City at the time in Harlem to be specific. And I just ended up sitting in my in my apartment and uh, the energy just kept building up from this. And like, you know, the come up on a psychedelic trip can be it's pretty like parallel to just the feelings of anxiety. Like you just feel this, like your heart's doing backflips kind of feeling. And you're like, if I don't make something happen, like I'm going to explode maybe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just remember like <laughs> having no experience with regularly running. I, I put on running shoes and pair of shorts and just ran to Central Park. And I think I ended up running like 13 miles, like that day for, for a no good reason. It felt amazing. Like during it, the next week I was just completely <laughs> thrashed, you know, but I think what I ended up leaving that experience with was just the idea that, you know, it's just, it's funny because like I, t I was saying that I ended up, you know, even taking LSD to help myself with my mental health, you know, with like depression and anxiety. And it led me to running, which ended up being this really sort of primal way for me to, um, yeah, I guess, like, channel that energy. Mm -hmm. And I have never been very good at things like seated meditation, just because I'm a pretty fidgety person. And I realized that there, there was just something about the mechanical repetition of running that allowed me to tap into that mind state that so many of my friends who meditate kind of described to me, you know? And, um, yeah. And ever since that run, I, uh, you know, I scaled back and <laughs> figured out like healthy ways to do it, but I, uh, it became my, my main source of meditation and release and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those, as you said, the, the mechanical nature, the constant, the consistent motion, right, that kind of allows people to, I don't for lack of a better term, not shut off your brain, but at least be like, at peace at one, like, I personally have meditated every single day for the last, like, I don't know, like three years, and I love it. Now, some yeah. days are better than others, which I'm sure is the exact totally. same thing for you, right? But yeah, it's one of those things where I need to do it. Now, I don't need to, I get to do it every single day. And it is just such a nice few minutes. Just sit there and breathe. Don't turn your mind off. That's one thing that people always get confused to. They're always like, oh, I, I can't, like, I'm always thinking. It's like, that's kind of the point. Like you're always thinking. It just helps you understand and be one, I guess, with yourself a little bit more, which I think is really important. And, and I think, I mean, shout out to you running 13 miles. Anybody run, I mean, you literally ran a half marathon. So like, <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere, that's pretty incredible. Um. I can understand the next week being pretty crazy. I guess after like one thing, like how did you then say like, oh, th like this was really fun, kind of high on LSD. Like, well, let me try this not high on LSD. Like what was the impetus for that? Because you easily could have just said like, I feel like shit, like I'm never going to do this again. Or I could just do LSD and, you know, maybe just like hang out, watch some YouTube videos or something. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, um, I guess what I, what I left that experience was like, with was um, wondering if I could still reproduce the same 
effect that I got from it while on LSD, just without it, you know? Um, and yeah, sure enough, it, it kind of happened that way for me. So runner's you know? high, is that like, that's a real thing? Yeah. It, you know, I, it, I guess it is. And I think there is tons of like scientific work now trying to prove whether or not it's a thing, but for me, at least if we want to relate it to, yeah, like meditation or something, right? Like, do, do you use like an app or do you do it on your own? Do you no, use like Headspace I used to, or something? I used to use Headspace, uh, cool. which is great for anybody getting into it. 100%, yeah. 100% totally. suggest Headspace. They even have like walking and running meditations, if I'm not mistaken, too, which is kind of cool. Oh, I've I'm n- I'm never um, actually seen I, those. I did some of the walking ones. It was pretty sweet. Uh, I'm more of a walker, not a runner personally. But yeah, no, definitely highly suggest that. But now I pretty much just do it kind of on my own daily. But, you know, the process of of meditation is, um, you know, a big part of that is like body scanning, right? And trying to understand like where you're, where you're at physically before you start to like be able to arrive Mm -hmm. at, you know, getting your mind in that, whatever that meditative state is to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the, what running allows is like, is a kind of body scanning of sorts, right? And I think the reason why people hate running at first is that they want to do it to you know burn calories to like lose weight and as such they go out a little too aggressively and i certainly was like was a was a victim of that too but you know i think once you find this like really comfortably slow pace and if you like don't worry about any of this bio data and stuff like that it's it's a form of body scanning where you're just repeating the same motion so much that I think the what the runner's high really is is kind of like a mechanical intoxication, if you will. You know, it's like you're doing the same thing so much to the point where actually, like, you almost forget about your bodily existence. That is, if you're not going way too hard, you know, and you're able to like tap into that same meditative state that you arrive at after doing that kind of body scan work and like, you know, because it's not like you just sit down and you're immediately in a meditative state, right? Correct. Like, yeah, no. I think we all wish we could do that. And I think just that's what running allows you to arrive at. And for me, that's what I consider like a runner's high. Certainly there are are runs that I have where I feel this certain sense of euphoria that people equate to the runner's high. But for me, it's really just a higher level of like consciousness and mind state. Yeah. And I think just to kind of just, just to parallel that, like that meditative state, I'll be honest, I, I don't hit it every time. Right. Like that <laughs> yeah, would be exactly. Sweet. But right. I, the way you're kind of describing it, I've never heard of runner's high described like that, which now that you put it in that context, that 100% completely makes sense now because I've ran not very far, like the further, like five K's like I can run. And at the end, I'm just like, this sucks. Like none of this was fun. Yeah. This is terrible. I hate this. But now that you're kind of putting it like that, the next few that I run, I'll try and kind of, it's all about mindset, right? Let's be positive. Totally. Mindset. And I, I kind of want to, I'll, I'll try. I promise you this, Adam, I will try the next time I go out and run to think of it more like that rather than, uh, okay, with this? you, please do. Yeah, Please I'm gonna do. I'm gonna shoot you an email in like in a week and a half and be like, love did it. you hit a really slow run yet? You know, I like that. I like that. Well, <laughs> slow. Also, I love be, walking. Do it slow. I yeah, love see, walking. exactly. Just Huge like walk. increase the pace a little bit from walking. You know, I like that. That's really what it is. And then later, like once you once you become acclimated to that sensation and feeling, then you can start concerning yourself with things like pace or distance. But I think upfront, what anybody should do is just throw all that shit out the window and like find that really comfortable let's just call it a meditative pace you know yeah i'm very excited i'm i'm excited to go on my next run adam i appreciate you for that (laughs) i appreciate i am for you too that is fantastic so that it's kind of cool right like this just not quite random occurrence right but something kind of out of the ordinary let's call it you know an accidental uh, not accidental, took a little too many um, LSDs, <laughs> let's call it, and uh, ended up kind of just hopping on a 13-mile half marathon, just a random day in New York City, right? I mean, hey, it's New York. What are you going to do? Uh, how did that then... So now I'm kind of curious going to the content side of things, right? So you're the head sure. of content at Satisfy. Were you always in the content space? Were you always doing stuff like that? Or did that come... Was that kind of attached to getting into running? Or I guess... Where does that side of the equation come in before we kind of smash both of those things together? Unless it's one-to-one. No, it's, um, it's kind of a really roundabout story. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I graduated um, from university undergrad just 
five years ago or so, you know, like, so I finished my undergrad much later in life. Mm -hmm. All of this to say um, is that, you know, in my um, late adolescence, early to mid twenties, I had worked just a multitude of different jobs, like, you know, in the restaurant industry, like desk jobs, like research labs, like just a milieu of like random shit. Right. And I think by the time I graduated from university, um, I just knew what I didn't want to do anymore. And, you know, I, I got into running about a year before I graduated. Um, so I guess I didn't graduate five years ago. It was like eh. three and a half, four years ago, whatever. The, the timing last, is not super important. Yeah, honestly, the last, yeah. I don't know what, like 18 months don't really, that all yeah. is kind of lumped together. So you're good. Man. Yeah. I'm not going to hold it against you. And um, so in what I did and have always loved doing is, you know, being able to channel any sort of creative energy into what I do, you know? And so when I graduated, I worked a fellowship at Columbia University, which is also where I graduated for a year. Um, I majored in comparative literature in a niche track called uh, Medicine, Literature, and Society. And I was planning on applying for PhD programs in either English or comparative literature, because like for me, that was a way I could continue to think creatively about things while also just having enough to subsist. You know, I think uh, that's what I'd come to realize was that as long as I can subsist and like not hate what I do, that's a win for me, you know? So I was in the process of um, applying for PhD programs, I guess it would have been two years ago. And I had already fallen in love with Satisfy as a brand at this point. Um, I followed them on Instagram. I just, I really liked their aesthetic and everything that they sort of represented to me. Um, because also side note, my work while I was in school, I was um, a model. And so I was kind of introduced into the fashion world in New York that way. And so satisfied just kind of combined like my love for running and also like this sort of luxury bent to it, you know? And I thought that was like super cool. I couldn't afford it at the time, but I thought it was really rad, you know? And they posted one day in, I think it was like September that they were looking for somebody to help like with customer service, you know? I swore to myself I would never do customer service job again as we all have who yep. anybody's worked in a restaurant. But I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I love this brand. Um, I otherwise don't know how I could get into the sport or fashion world that, you know, wasn't with like a camera on me, which I hated. Um, so I just decided to apply for the job and, you know, fast forward a couple months and interview process. I got this part-time job with Satisfy as the uh, customer relationship manager is uh, what the title was at the time. And I did that for a couple months. I went to Paris in January because before COVID and all this craziness, we were abiding by the fashion calendar. And um, just to kind of speak to like the unique space that Satisfy occupies, you know, it is very like technical, like high octane running gear, like that's like designed specifically for high performance. But at the same time, you know, like people from the high fashion world have like co-opted the brand. And as such, we were doing things like, you know, showrooms in Paris mm -hmm. during fashion week. So I flew out to Paris to kind of help with that and meet the team. And while I was there, I just um, had a conversation with the CEO, creative director, Brice Partouche, and told him that, you know, if at all possible, I would love to find a way to make this my full-time job. You know, it didn't matter to me, like in what capacity, as long as I could be helping the brand in some way. And that sort of organically developed into him recognizing like the things that I was just inherently good at, which was like writing. So I, you know, it worked out well for customer service because it's yeah. a completely written job. And then that also led me to do, and what I still do is like all the copywriting for the brand. So like anything you see on the website, any text that we generate are written by me. And then that organically evolved into sort of like orchestrating and organizing shoots that we have in the U.S. since during COVID, none of them could travel here, you know. And, you know, I, if, if that weren't the case, I don't know if I would have been able to fall into this job in the way that I am and have been able to now. But I think 
I hope, you know, I don't want to speak for Brees, but I think he recognized that it was something that just came kind of naturally to me and that he could trust me with because he is like really particular with like how the brand is represented because it's, it's, and we can talk about it later, but we do occupy a really unique space in the running world, like both apparel and community wise, you know, and that happened, I guess, in March. And since March, I've, yeah, he's just given me a lot of like liberty and freedom to uh, continue to generate content. And that's what I do now. So I just do the copywriting and I do all the sort of like visual content, like generation, like along with him and the rest of our really small team. But yeah. That is awesome, man. And yeah, I mean, obviously no one wanted, uh, you know, a worldwide pandemic for the last whatever we're going to call it, 18 months. But again, let's turn negatives into positives. We're always trying to think positively. (laughs) We're always trying to spin it, get good stuff out of it. And you got a pretty sweet job, dude. So I think that part's really important. And it obviously let you and, uh, you know, your skill set and your attributes get to the forefront because as you said it was something that there was only so many people that could do this because you are here stateside you are capable you've been in front of a camera you know what it takes you know what needs to be done um and i I think that's pretty sweet man so yeah look at that look at that full circle i like that roundabout way but and you did the smart thing though right you applied for that customer service job well before the pandemic right yeah and i mean i think and that's what i tell i mean and that's the thing i do i love my job like full disclosure i love what i do and the roughest part about the pandemic has been just so many people realizing how much they hate what they do yep because i think you know prior to working from home and like you know like normal life like before lockdowns and such there was just like this easy spatial separation right between your work and your home space but then you know the pandemic forced people to bring their work into their home space. Right. And it was almost like a a domicide of sorts. Right. It just killed the domicile for some Mm -hmm. people. Like their homes were just irrevocably altered and became workspaces. And they realized, wow, I really dislike what I do. And that was always, that's been the biggest bummer for like a lot of my friends that I talked to feel the same way about that. And, um, I just feel really fortunate to, yeah, not, feel that way <laughs> yeah feel feel fortunate i'm glad you use the word fortunate and not lucky because i personally don't i'm not i'm not a believer in luck personally you worked very hard and you did what you did uh to get to where you are but i mean again you you were smart you took that job that hey man i worked in a restaurant for nine years i personally loved every second of it but it wasn't email to email communication i love just sitting down talking to people so that was always so much fun for me working in a restaurant i totally get why a lot of people don't love it but it was like one of my favorite jobs i ever had but, That's what I liked about working at a restaurant was right? the was the social aspect mm-hmm. of it. But I think there is a slow wilting away of the soul oh, that also God, comes yeah. with it. You know? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 for a specific group of people. I think everybody should work in a restaurant. Like, call it six months, so that way, next time you go in, and you're an asshole to the waiter you'll know like dude i think that's really important i've said the same thing i'm like you know what forget drafts and conscription like people should be obliged to work for like a year in the customer service industry you know like that that's what will help so Mm -hmm. many issues and problems you know that will make people so much more patient it will give so much more perspective especially in your empathy right now like empathy all that stuff there's not it's not just a rand it's not a robot on the other side of that screen it's not a robot writing down your order i'm a real human some people treat you like you are but yeah it's not exactly so i've always believed that so if i ever have a kid one day i'm going to force them into the restaurant industry i can't wait i hope they love it but if not it doesn't matter we're still gonna do it uh but anyway going back to you sorry about that i think it's it's just so cool because like i like um personally so i joined the sports betting industry uh back in like april let's call it but i was gearing up to it for a little while and i spoke to so many people they're like hey whatever you want to do don't expect you're going to get that job but if you find a customer service position email them and do whatever you can to get that position it's gonna suck it's not going to be fun it's not what you're going to do the hours are going to be awful but after six months you're going to know way more about the company and how it works and everything than everybody else because you're going to be speaking to the people that are boots on the ground. Now, I didn't actually get a customer service position. I actually just got like a, a quote unquote regular full time job, let's call it, uh, which is awesome, by the way. I really enjoy it. But I was told by that so many people. And I think it's really cool to kind of see it for, in a different industry, right? This sports fashion industry that you exist in where it's it's the same thing. Now, I'm assuming your team is a little 100%. bit smaller. But I just think it's so great that this lesson goes across probably most industries, right? If you can get in specifically from customer service perspective, it's going to suck. 
but then that next job is going to be so much cooler. And as you said, you love what you do now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. And I mean, I think what you were saying earlier about, you know, I think that when you call it customer service, like it just becomes completely unglamorous, right? Because people have all these like preconceived notions about what that means. Like they imagine somebody like with a headset, like you have on Mm -hmm. now, like answering calls and shit like that, you know, but like, you're right in the sense that you become the person that talks and speaks to everybody that interacts with whatever it is like you're representing or working Mm -hmm. for. Right. And in the case of satisfy, yeah. Like I realized shortly into it that I was the only one and because we're a smaller brand, right? Like I was the only one speaking to customers at all. So like in a sense, you become an extension like of the personality of the brand by doing that kind of thing. And it is super important. And I don't think I would be able to do what I do now had I not done that and like, you know, developed like an intimate familiarity with our products, like with what we, what we mean to people in addition to like what we think we mean to people, you Mm -hmm. know, and having this like multitudinous perspective, like is what I think helps me like generate content. Right. And, and saying you want your brand to be something and actually having your brand to be something are two completely different things, right? So different. It's so important. And and I think this is a awesome segue. So shout out to me for being really good at my job here. How, (laughs) what did you learn in terms of maybe not specifics, but like from that customer service relationship manager management position, which I think is a little bit more glamorous. What, like, what were, what were you learning? What were you taking from that position that you now maybe can see, as you were saying before, like I am directly using this stuff in creating content, in speaking to the customer, because I literally spoke to the customer for months before getting into this position. Yeah, that, that's, there's so many ways that I feel like I can answer this, but I think the the really important part that I learned from that, that I still like always keep in mind with me today as I do anything for Satisfy is that how important it is. First of all, you know, full disclosure, like our, our shit's expensive, you know, like it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not what someone would call an affordable product. And that's okay. If it's of like really great quality, which, you know, it is, you know, I, I, I will stand by that statement. And so what I learned through doing it is that as long as people were able to experience the product, like they felt the same way too, you know, because I think we, you know, we deal with a lot of messages and comments on our posts from people that just kind of shit talk the prices mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it kind of bred almost like a, it reinstilled faith in what I was doing by speaking with customers who had the opportunity to try the products and, you know, also made me realize how important it is to, you know, provide a particular level of service with that price point and with the product you know, to like make the customer feel like they made like a really great decision investing in this piece of product. And as such, just kind of seeing the the different ways that people are able to take this stuff and go on their own adventures with it and like really put it through the ringer and like, yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm getting away from the, the heart of your question. No, but. I think it's, I think it's important that you, I mean, I don't think so. Honestly, I think you're hitting the, the nail on the head there, right? Like, as you said, this stuff's expensive. It's, pretty yeah. expensive i looked at the website i personally will not be buying any of it anytime <laughs> soon, which is fine those brands need to exist and as you said if you're then coming in if your customer service is i worked at nike there we go if your customer service was a shitty level of customer service i gave because i hated working in retail so much it's not gonna fly if you're giving extremely yeah. good customer service extremely well extremely good customer service from somebody who's a freaking, you know, you're going to get your PhD in English. All right. I'm, I'm assuming you can have a pretty thoughtful conversation with somebody. Right. So I think it's really important to understand that it's cool that your brand exists. That's totally fine. Let people buy it if they want to buy it. That's hundred percent on. But as long as you're giving that brand experience, that's worth those dollars, because I'm sure that's what people are expecting. And it sounds like that's what you guys are, are really executing on, which I think is the most important part. And to build on that, to, to build on what I think I was trying to get at with what I was talking about before. You were doing I, great. You were I doing got great. too caught up in like price points and stuff like that. But what really was inspiring for me to see from customers was just, you know, like at least once a week, I would get an email from somebody, you know, telling me their almost like their life story or their running story and how having discovered our brand, like was this like kind of full circle experience for them and just... And this, I think this is a good way to, to put it. It's that 
not only did these people feel like they were buying a superior slash high quality product, they felt legitimately as though they were like buying into a culture. Mm-hmm. And like that, seeing that happen so frequently and getting that feedback so often, really like, you know, I was just like, wow, like what we're trying to do is like resonating with people. So that was the most key thing that I think I got from doing the customer service stuff leading mm-hmm. into the content. Exactly. And then that leads into the content. So you know how to speak directly to those people. I'm sure there was some parameters right. and strategy involved, but you were able to take those experiences and understanding how people are buying into this culture. So I guess, tell me, let's, we've kind of like walked around the brand a little bit. Let's talk <laughs> about Satisfy. We know it's expensive. Sure. Big deal. That doesn't mean anything. Cadillacs are expensive too. Yep. What exactly, What what is Satisfy as a brand and why, Again, we've talked about how high quality these products are. We have like, what is that culture that people love so much about what you guys do at Satisfy? Yeah, no, it's 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 a great question. Um, I think that the origin of the brand is kind of like a good way to uh, to answer that, you know. And yeah, Brees um, prior to Satisfy had run this pretty successful denim brand called April 77 that was also like integrated musical cultural references in addition to fashion. And I think when he discovered running, um, the running market at the time was just, yeah, Nike, Adidas, like really big name brands, like colorful stuff, like kind of, and if you've ever run in Nike apparel or, you know, let's just not use, if you run in like kind of big brand apparel, you know, it, it doesn't last very long, but you don't care that much because, you know, it's just, you need it to run like, and there's nothing else available. Right. But, and I'm sure you have the same experience with your friends and the people, you know, it's like, when you look at these big ad campaigns for like big brands, you're like, wow, I don't connect with that even remotely. Right. And so I think what satisfies about is first of all, like being able to create superior high quality product something like that a pro athlete would wear but make it available to anybody who like has the means to purchase it right because like the base level fact about a lot of like pro athlete apparel is that the regular person can't even buy it if they wanted to you know like they save like the really really high-end technology and quality of product for their pro athletes and so that was like the base level like foundation of satisfy was being able to develop like unique fabric technologies that perform at that level. But then on top of that, it was also about providing a cultural space for people that didn't necessarily identify with the way that running was represented in the mainstream, right? There's so many like punk rockers, metalheads, skateboarders that all through various avenues of life arrive at running as an activity. You know, like you can only thrash on a skateboard for so long, you know, hitting big jumps and like doing crazy tricks before you're like, wow, like I'm really destroying my body once you pass like, you know, like 25 or whatever. And I think it was just like being able to provide this cultural space for people that identified in subcultures of the activities that they love to do otherwise outside of running and people for and like allow them to, uh, connect that way to running because so many people that I know even connect with running that way. And so it became about integrating our musical influences and all these other subcultural references into running as a sport. Why why does that resonate with people so much more or on such a higher level, right? You don't hear people. I'm sure the customer service at Nike is not receiving those thoughtful messages and those stories like you were at Satisfy, what what is it about that idea of this company that you think brings so many people together? Because again, you can say all those things and it's great, but if that's not actually happening, there has to be a disconnect. Why why do you guys think you're hitting that nail so hard? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, and it's like, I can't know for sure why we're hitting the nail on that so mm-hmm. hard. But I mean... I think in a sport that is really dominated by narratives of competition and like performing at your best all the time, you know, I think that while running is that for many people and for many of the people that identify in the way that I was just speaking, I think for most people, they're not running to, you know, break record times or 
you know, even their own record times, maybe, you know, some people just get out there to run and move every day. Right. And I think combining that with an aesthetic and cultural ethos that is centered around that, you know, the high, as we were saying it before, I mean, we use that language in, in our, in our brand manifesto, like the high, but just like focusing on that higher level of consciousness that running produces. I think that's like what really like connects with people. And I think for a lot of people, like they don't even realize that that's what it was about running that draws them into it. And we help them realize that. So I think there's like that cohort of customer or, or like brand fan, but then obviously there's like the people that already feel that way about running and recognize that and what we do. And then the, the high quality aspect of the, yeah, actual, that helps too, yeah, right? It's that like, helps too. Yeah. Of course, that's going to draw in some people. Uh, I guess so. From a content perspective, how the hell do you capture that? Like, like what what does like how do you personally in your day job? How do you capture that idea of of bringing together so many subcultures and getting people to understand like? Hey, you're going to see that, you know, big brand commercial that they're going to look at their watch and they have apps and Kevin Hart's yelling at me to run faster kind of shit. Like, how do you kind of counter that with with what you guys are trying to do? And again, build such a strong brand loyalty. Yeah, I mean, I think from an imagery standpoint, um, if you just like look through a lot of our like our drop or like collection capsule collection uh, shoot images, you see it like we try to represent it even in the landscape that's being shot. Right. And so like recently we did a drop called American desert. And I think the desert is probably the space in which we shoot most frequently. And it's, you know, when you think of the desert, you don't usually think of it as an optimal place to run. Right. It's like oppressively hot. It's hard to completely <laughs> exposed. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, desolate, but I think that, why that space conceptually visually works so well to capture what it is that we're trying to represent is because of those things, right? It's because the desolation of the desert, like the barrenness, like the inability for what we traditionally conceive as organic life to live or even subsist, like it strips away everything, right? And so running in the desert is like almost like the most pure form of like, yeah, maybe torture, but like, it's almost like a transcendental exhaustion or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And just being able to visually represent that is, uh, I don't know, it just, it becomes like a really beautiful space to represent that. And so we've done a couple of shots, shoots this year um, in the desert. And that's like one way to do it, right? Is just finding that right landscape. But then I think more importantly, the way we like to do or the way I like to do a lot of content is really finding an authentic story or space to tell and anchor what we do as a brand to that. And so prior to you know, arriving at this position, the brand never really bridged the gap between you know, what, what we do like from a product standpoint and even just like the cultural ethos that we produce on our end with the actual running community. We've done things in the past like pop-ups at marathons and that was our way of like actually getting in touch with people in the running community. But this year we've certainly like made a gesture to do that in a more real way than that has been in large part to do with my, you know, occupying this role now because yeah. I think it's critically important to do that. But I think it also needs to go beyond what a lot of brands do, which is just providing pre-existing running clubs with gear and like letting them, you know, really letting them take over your, you know, brand visibility and, and cultural like sort of translation. And so we like to, you know, kind of hop into projects that tell a story, but like, we'll actually be there. Right. So for instance, we are sponsoring our first pro athlete this year. His name is Michael Versteeg. He's a really interesting character who lives off the grid in the Granite Dells in Prescott, Arizona. He lives in a tiny house he built with his own hands. And he as an individual just represents what we as a brand stand for a lot. Um, but in May of this year, he was entered into a 250 mile race called Cocodona 250. And yeah, no, so myself, <laughs> myself and the photographer that we work with a lot, Mo Lockhart, um, and uh, the editor-in-chief of our magazine, Travis, went to Arizona 
to spend time with him, get to know him. And then we crewed him throughout the entirety of that 250 mile race. I ended up pacing him for like 40 miles of it. And then like, you know, what we did then was turn around and use all the images that we captured. And I wrote like the firsthand account of like what that experience was like, you know? And I think what being able to go in there and do it that way, turn around the content in a matter of like a week is really unique for brands. Like, I mean, if you, if you talk to anybody else that works at a bigger brand, the, the bureaucratic hurdles that need to be hopped, make it such that usually projects like that, you know, it's at best months after the fact that it happens, but being able to like turn it around in a week, it just gives it this sort of visceral, like, I don't know, consumption experience from like a, from a viewer or consumer standpoint, I think. And sort of repeat that template at other events is, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, what's been really successful about the way that we do content. Yeah, it's raw. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact that you're, you're literal boots on the ground, right? The head of content at one of these big brands, I don't think he's going to write that piece. I don't think he's pacing one of their sponsored athletes. Um, Please correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there, but I'm just going out on a limb and saying that. And I think by being connected again, it gives you that better understanding. You're not just saying, Hey, this is what we want our brand to be. You're literal boots on the ground, viewing this, being this, helping in this process to really show what the brand is about. Not just saying it, you're clearly doing it. Actions speak louder than words. We all know that. And you're clearly acting upon it, which I think is incredible. And then, as you said, it's a weak turnaround. One of my questions, I never really looked down at my sheet, so I forgot to ask it, but was going to be like, what is, how far in advance do you have to plan some of these things, right? Like it's October pumpkin spice latte season, right? Like, do you start getting that ready in June? Like, I, I don't know. Of course, that's a joke. Don't worry. But like, it seems like you guys can turn, because you're a little bit more nimble, you could turn this stuff around quickly. And if something pops up, it's not just doesn't fit in our timeline. It's that's incredible. If this makes sense, let's take advantage of it. Oh, well, I mean, I'll use a real example for you. Um, have you have you have you heard of the Speed Project? I have not. So the Speed Project is in in highly condensed terms, like just it's an unsanctioned three hundred forty four mile relay race, and the only it's like their whole ethos and like branding is hashtag no rules. It's like the only rules that are in this race are that you start at the Santa Monica Pier and you end at the Welcome to Las Vegas sign in Vegas which ends up being, yeah, like 344 miles roughly, right? Um, and it's like an invite-only kind of uh, relay race. You usually do it with six runners. It's uh, four male runners and two female runners, and that's simply just because that's the template that existed the first year it happened. So I got a text from somebody who was part of the Speed Project and ended up being a runner on our team, and she texted me three weeks before the speed project and was like, Hey, like, do you want to cover one of the teams participating in the speed project for your magazine? And I was like, Oh yeah. Like I'd, I'd heard of the speed project. It always been pretty interesting to me because of how gnarly it is, you know? And I was like, that's a great idea. And then I, I just, I, t- I talked to Brees about it for like 10 minutes and he was like, why don't we just make our own team and do it? No you know? shit, that's awesome. Yeah. So in a matter of like three weeks, like I assembled a team of like six runners and a crew, like to be part of like, you know, crewing for the six runners mm-hmm. running this distance. And then we showed up, you know, like three weeks later at the Santa Monica pier with like a team, like all the vehicles necessary to like do it. And then just did it and like produce the content out of it. Like, yeah, a week after that, you know, like a week after the fact, mm-hmm. we didn't win full disclosure. I think we, we made a wrong turn and got like 10th place, but, oh, no. but I think, you know, from a content standpoint, we definitely won though. I mean, because of the way that we did it, like the visibility that we had in terms of like flipping around the imagery and like, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like you were saying, we, we're able to be flexible and nimble in that way because we're so small to like decide weeks before something happens that we want to do it. Obviously, and, our production schedule is different for pro- like for our actual yeah. year, so that's a separate thing, and it's very well thought out. But like from a content standpoint, yeah, like 
you could tell me something that's going down tomorrow. And if I could find a flight, I might go do it. You know, that, that's <laughs> you awesome. Know? Man. I think that's just so, especially again, I'm just, you know, getting to sit, sit here with you for the last hour now and understanding kind of a little bit more about you, that that seems like something that you would really like just that opportunity. Now I'm kind of curious there's so you bring up the wrong turn in the race, right? Well, you guys had three, three weeks to prepare. If you had a little bit longer, probably would have executed a little bit better. So I'm kind of curious exactly. like where, where's that fine line of let's do it tomorrow versus, you know, if we only had an extra three or four days to kind of just mentally figure this out, we could have made it, you know, an A plus project rather than a minus product. Do you ever kind of fall into that? Like, ah, oh, shit, if only we, or, or do you just kind of say it's out, it's done. It was pretty cool. Let's find the next thing. Well, first off, I think that even though we got 10th, it was an A plus project. Still incredible. Right? Oh, no, you no, know, no, no, no. Like, Still incredible. No, no. Still cool. and, but um, I, that's, I am a victim or like not a victim, but like my problem has always been overthinking things. Okay. And oh. so to be able to work at such a fast pace allows me to like not have to worry too much about mm -hmm. that. You know, and I do really enjoy sort of like high pressure situations and like flipping things around like fast. Like, I mean, that's I think that was a big reason why I was like, yeah, PhD program sounds great. It's just like really, really stressful <laughs> at certain moments. And like, you know, um, and so I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see, you know, so far yeah. it's been it's been a good format and a good formula and. You know, I think there's always a way, even if it's an epic failure to, you know, turn it into something that's, and this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, right? So always finding that silver lining, like mm -hmm. always finding the positive in something. Love it. Like, you know, um, the same athlete that I was talking about earlier, Michael Versteeg, our only pro. Um, I'm going to Colorado in five days because we're going to go for the FKT. I don't know if you've heard of FKTs, but they're like fastest known times. It's like mm. people find okay. big routes and try to run them in record time. And we're going to do that on the uh, Colorado trail, which is like 500 miles. And we'll see, you know, it could, he could fail completely, yeah. but it's just like a, yeah, it's a scenario that I'm prepared for. And that doesn't affect the nature of the content. I think we'll be able to produce. No, no, not at all. And that, I guess I wasn't, I was, I guess I was more, and you you kind of answered it by saying you don't really get time to overthink because that's that's the other that's the other side of the coin right you have too much time to think about something and you overthink it and it seems like you work at that pace where if you're just moving yeah look at us we're coming full circle yeah, and all this yeah, shit yeah, yeah. you're just moving and you continue to do things that seems like where you're at your best and, and you're able to just kind of put everything down and do what you need to do uh which i think is really interesting again turning that stuff around so quickly is extremely impressive in its own right having it be good is even more impressive uh, on top of it, I think is really darn cool. So clearly you guys are doing some real cool shit over there, man. So kudos. And I think, I think kudos. when, when content goes through too much time and too many people's minds and opinions, yep. the end result is just down. this watered down. Exactly. And so it, like the pace at which we work really allows us to avoid that. You know, I love it. That is so cool, man. This was such a fun conversation. I'm so glad we got to do this, dude. This is great. Um, Me too, man. It's the first time I've ever been in anything like this. So, no way. Yeah, hey. I was I was super worried before. Actually, oh. I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I have to offer. I don't know why this guy wants to talk to me, you know. But it was really fun. And you know. fifty minutes of a really good conversation. That's what we had to offer <laughs> each other. How's that, man? That's not too bad. One actual last thing. So this might take a couple extra minutes. I wrote down in my notes. I got time. Um, I appreciate you, buddy. I wrote down in my notes. Uh, you brought up running and anxiety and, you know, you brought up the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole way you got into running was through this, you know, potential micro dosing experience that got a little bit more macro dosing, let's call it. Um, but that was because you wanted to, to figure out that anxiety portion. And I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, you don't have to get too, too deep if you don't want to, but like running and anxiety are very much connected and mm -hmm. everything. I'm not trying to armchair expert anybody. I am not a doctor, but everything I've read online and everything that I've spoken to people that have anxiety, everybody that I've talked to that works in the field say running is one of the best things for people with depression. One of the best things for people with anxiety. Was this something on top of that, that you really you kind of happened upon by accident? Or was that something you realized in the moment? Like, has that been a, a major factor in what you're doing? I guess if that makes sense. Um, you mean just personally, right? 
personally and maybe even brand wise I, I don't know if it it seems like you you kind of let the brand flow through you and vice versa so i'm kind of curious if it goes both ways yeah well personally it's it's a huge part of it i mean you know you can you could speak to my partner like if i don't get to do some kind of activity mm-hmm. like for more than even like a day like i'm i'm terrible you know like i'm a mess kind of like yeah. i feel it internally at least um i think it's it's super super connected for me i think that even you know I think the reason why I don't, I don't, I don't know the actual science, but I mean, even like in the amygdala in the brain, you have that, you know, fight or flight response. I mean, mm-hmm. flight is like, you know, mm-hmm. embedded into our minds as like a, a pretty like primal response to things. And so I, I don't know how I would cope without running with my mental health. You know, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't know if that's a bad thing either, <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. but I, th- yeah. I think there are more, unhealthy ways to cope than running so you know a lot of people just drink beer and smoke pot on a daily basis like not to say that's bad but it's definitely not the best thing for you probably no not not if that's why you're doing those (laughs) exactly yeah 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 exactly totally that's important for me as a brand you know it's i don't think our role as a brand is to you know educate people on how to deal with those things. I, you know, if that becomes a byproduct of Mm -hmm. like something that somebody connects with and any of the content we produce or something, that's amazing. But like, I certainly don't think of satisfy or the content I make for satisfy as a platform for me to like Mm -hmm. explore those ideas, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, again, there's, there's a brand. It is a brand for a reason. It's clearly doing a really good job. So uh, I was just kind of curious on both fronts though, but Adam, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I will reach out to the team. I'll make sure to get your article that you wrote um, in the magazine. If it is available online, I'm assuming. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'll reach out to the team. Make sure that is in the show notes for everybody here on YouTube, as well as in the podcast. If you're listening on the audio feed, Adam, where can we follow you? Where can we check out some of this awesome content that you guys are creating over there at Satisfy? And then even you personally, if you want to give out your personal stuff as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, of course, you can follow the brand on Instagram at Satisfy Running. Um, our website, we host all of our content as well as all of our magazine articles, which is just satisfyrunning.com. And then, yeah, for me personally, it's just my invented name at Adam Voidoid. I love it. We won't get into the invented name part. We've had a good, good time. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting part of the conversation. I promise everybody yeah. out there, but mm-hmm. uh, Adam's got to get going. I got to eat. I got to eat dinner soon. I think my wife's already cooking it. So we got to get out of here. But Adam, sincerely, man, this was so much fun. Adam Voidoid, header, head of content at satisfy running i really appreciate your time today man you too man and i'm gonna email you in like a Please week do. and a half to see if you've run so watch i out will i'll go tomorrow <laughs> okay as then as i'm as gonna as email as you as in two days yeah.